It's in moments of worship like that where we realize that the veil is very thin. That what separates us from our experience now in our lives, in the state of the world and where we are at and where the promise intersects of the coming of God's kingdom both now and in eternity, that when we cry holy, holy, holy like that, there is something of the presence of heaven and what we will experience for all of eternity that we get to do now. It is, it is like we're just warming up our vocal cords. It's like we're backstage at the big concert and all of us are behind the curtain doing our fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la, just getting our voices prepared for what is to come because one day that will be the chorus endlessly pouring from our mouths, endlessly coming from the people of God as we gather, as He gathers us to Himself one day. Man, that's going to be an exciting time, yeah? It's exciting now. It'll be even more exciting then. Thanks, Gav. That's, that's the end of the tinkery bit you need to do to make it just the, the warm entrance, the soft landing. He's good at it, isn't he? It always makes the job of whoever's speaking up here easy when you just get that nice, you know, I don't even know what you call it, probably nothing, um, just a bit of plain, anyway. Oh, golly goodness, um, it's good to be here. It's the middle of December, Christmas, two weeks away. Um, isn't that kind of like part exciting and like just part, where has the year gone? Like it is just insane. Um, And so much has happened this year. I mean, if we were to stop and take stock of all that God has done, I think it was about this time last year where we got all of the photos that we had of the year and we lined the walls out there of all of the things and uh, we didn't get to doing that this year, um, as in all of the photos. I dropped the ball on that. Um, My apologies. Um, Chrissy was doing it last year, uh, but in her change of role, Um, this year was not able to do all of our photos. Um, But if we stopped and took stock of all that God has done, our minds would be actually blown by what this community of people, uh, you know, perhaps small in number, well, just this morning, people say, how big's your church day? And I say, about 300,000. They're like, what? So yeah, the church, the Shire is our church. Um, There just happens to be a hundred or so odd of us that gather just now. Um, on a Sunday morning. But what God has achieved through us as a community, partnered with Sea Change in the ecosystem of our Kingsway Church family with Kingsway Care, with what's happening in Cambodia, with our other missional partners, what God has achieved through us as a group of people who are doing our best um, to follow Him and to live out His mission and call for us is nothing short of astounding. And the astounding part of it is that He uses us to partner with Him. And I know that there are so many more people who are sitting in this room than there are um, here today who have contributed to that. And I want to name some people this morning who, um, and and please, I ask your forgiveness and grace. There's probably, um, you might be sitting here and I might not mention your name, for which I apologize. Um, But there are specifically um, people who have carried a weight and a burden of responsibility in ministering to this community and through this community this year. In light of uh, Avril transitioning out of her kids' pastor role at the end of last year um, into back into full-time teaching this year and um, going to Broken Hill next year, which breaks my heart no end. 
Uh, receiving Avril's letter of resignation this year was, uh, took me three days to open it. I kept texting her, I'm not opening it, I'm not opening, I'm not opening it. And when I did, um, I may have cried. Um, and I maybe have a few times since then. But in light of Avril not being, holding that space um, this year, Shelley Forrest, Nicole Howard and Fiona um, and Nicola have carried a huge weight of um, our kids' ministry in rostering, in programming, in coordinating volunteers, in the midst of the transition that we've had from our um, spaces and the amalgamation of programs. Um, that has been nothing short of amazing for which I am so grateful. On Friday, I know uh, Ruthie said we celebrated the youth and D crew kids on Friday. I was here to see that happen and what a riotous time that was. Um, but uh, Mia and Jesse Dixon have led our D crew program for our year four, uh, five and six kids um, this year and they have done an absolutely stellar job alongside their junior leaders with Josh and Rocky and Lizy and Ollie and Ruby and Gracie. Um, these guys on Friday afternoons have created an atmosphere and an environment, a safe place uh, for our youngest um, youth kind of kids, that middle years of year five and six, um, to be able to learn the word of God, to experience deep community together, and to be um, discipled um, in such an amazing, amazing way. And behind Miss, um, Missy, Mia, I'll just call you Missy, no, I won't do that. Mia and JD um, has been Chrissy and Avril for many years. These guys birthed the Deep Crew program. Um, how many years ago? Way back when? Five, six years ago. Um, uh, behind Mia and Jesse D this year have been uh, Chrissy and um, Avril who have been able to hold the responsibility of um, oversight, spiritual responsibility, practical responsibility, um, all of our safe ministry things and training Mia and Jesse D um, in the background and allowing them to do their thing and um, they are among the finest leaders that I know. Um, so thank you both, you have done an amazing job this year. Um, our kids outreach in schools, I know Joe is in high schools teaching scripture and Elise is at Grace Point um, teaching primary um, scripture. Um, you guys are in the trenches on the front lines of ministry in our school communities and for you know, anyone who is a teacher or part of early education or education anywhere for that matter, you would know the arduous task it is in these systems and for um, you ladies who are giving your time and your effort in our schools, um, thank you because our students in those environments no doubt need a beacon of hope which I know you guys both are. Um, Ruthie and all of our marvellous youth leaders, Denny, Sonia, Jeff, Emma, Isaac, Emily, Mia, uh, Ruby, have I forgotten any? All of... All, Gavin Nat at the start of the year, um, absolutely incredible. The, the way, again, you have curated space for our kids to experience the presence of God on Friday nights, um, to be able to hear his word, to be able to uh, feel like they are part of a bigger picture of God's church, contribute through serving our church in so many ways has been absolutely incredible. All of our women's ministry, the connection through our her community has not been possible without uh, Mel and Donna and Bernie and Ruthie and Nicola and Robin and Gail. Uh, what you guys have done in, in creating spaces for our women to connect, I know has gone um, a long way. I heard that last Sunday night's wreath-making activity was a real hoot. Um, so thank you guys. 
Um, Jodie Thelning, she's not here this morning, but Jodie um, has finished up this year, like this week, uh, after 10 years of being on the Kingsway Community Care Board and wanted to recognise her contribution um, to that. Before Kingsway Care was even an entity, um, Jodie was on the com.care board. That's where we started before Kingsway Care was even a thing. Jodie was part of that from the very beginning. Um, and 10 plus years of faithfully serving in a governance role is no small task. So Grant, can you please pass on our much uh, thanks for Jodie and what she's done. Um, our elders... Um, you guys are second to none. The way that you spiritually oversee us as a, as a community of people, uh, both here and how we work with our elders at um, Sea Change, um, is incredible. The faith that you bring um, to us as a community, the support that you are to me and to Elise and to our other ministry, uh, ministering people in the church is absolutely um, astounding that you have been there through some of the hardest moments, hardest conversations, um, you have been there to celebrate the best. And for our elders, um, Andrew, Donna, Fiona, Kane, Jess and Jeff, um, I personally thank you for how you have done that for me and my family this year and what you've held for the church um, in all of its complexities and all of its beauty over the last 12 months. For everyone who leads us in worship um, every week, our worship leaders, uh, Gav and Grant and Robin and Michael and Bredo, who kind of spearhead each week with the unknowns of who is going to be playing on our team um, that week, um, Greg and uh, Jeff and uh, Mia and Grassy and Taylor, you, you led beautifully at the youth takeover. Uh, Joe, Joe, absolutely. Joe, how Joe leads us. Maddie on the drums, Mel on the drums. Um, there is, Grant, I said your name, Grant. Uh, Ali, when you sing, it's beautiful. Like, we have such a heart for worship in our community, and it is beautiful the way that you lead us and serve us. Um, perhaps one of the least glorious ones, our business team, Sean and, um, and Shaz and Maddie Fowler. Um, behind the scenes... <clears throat> Look at that. You guys get an applause. Uh, but again, no small task to hold the space of church business. You know, things, money and budgets and approving things like Dave's ideas of renting out joints and all that kind of... Uh, we're not renting out... No, joints. Um, uh, <coughs> yeah, in all of the things that we hold from a church business perspective, um, the way you guys do that with faithfulness and belief... Um, is, a, is a wonderful gift to our community, so I thank you. Um, and then I will, uh, not, it's not a um, last, it's, sorry, it's a last but not least, um, for anyone who has prayed in our church for anything that is happening around our world, for the kids that we serve in Cambodia through Hands at Work in Africa, for people who have prayed for our kids, people who turn up before church on a Sunday morning, people who in the quiet places, if you've driven your car, been about your business at work, where you've felt the prompting of the Spirit to pray for whatever it is that is laid on your heart, I thank you because the gift of prayer is the gift that moves the kingdom forward. And we know that God's peace has been upon this church through all of its ups and downs off the back of people who pray. Um, and so thank you for that. And whoever's texted me throughout the year and said, hey, are you okay? Can I take you or get you a coffee? Can I uh, drop something around for you and Elise? For whatever the case might be, just the personal support and thanks 
um, as just, yeah, I'm so grateful and thankful for. And so um, I could just about go through and spend five minutes naming and thanking every single one of you who are here this morning for how you have invested and sown into and blessed one another, me, and most of all, given glory to God through all of the activity that we have done this year. So let's give everyone a round of applause, those who are here, those who aren't, because I am most certainly grateful for you all, endlessly grateful. Well, before we get into the Word, let's uh, pray together. Father, thank you so much for your presence. Father, that Christmas, this, this moment in time that we have each year is just a stark reminder that you chose to come in flesh and blood to live among us, both fully God and fully man. And Father, the truth wrapped up in that very dynamic is so incredible that there is no one else like you who has ever lived nor ever will. Father, you are the one true king. And Father, you would call us and choose us and welcome us into your family is an astounding act of grace for which we just collectively this morning say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me ask you a question. What has your attention at the moment? In this run-up to Christmas, what is it that is drawing your mind, your focus? Is it the next event that you need to prepare for or to be at? Is it the list of gifts that you need to buy or to wrap? Is your attention on all of the recipes that you've seen through the Good Food Guide in the paper this week or on Instagram or however you consume your recipes? Is your mind focused on the Christmas Day lunch moment where you've got so many moving parts to coordinate and bring together that it would be a festivity, um, a festive feast at your house? Is it the jobs that you need to do before you go on holidays? All of those niggling little ones that you just know you won't have peace of mind until they're done before you go away. You know, is it the end of year logistics that go into wrapping up schooling or work and family life? Is that, are those logistical matters the very focus of your mind? See, I'm not sure if it's just me, but there seems at Christmas that the amplification of things demanding my attention seems to go up. Even my inbox this week, it's, it seems like the, the deals, deals, deals kind of emails have been coming a little bit more thick and fast. I even got one from JCar this week, who subscribes to JCar. I'm nerd out a little bit on kind of electronic goods and bits and pieces. But they come up with their own advent calendar where every day from now till Christmas, they send you a, a deal by email. That's their way of advent. And I'm like, hashtag unsubscribe. I'm not copying that. And driving at night, everywhere the kids, you know, Ronnie's in the car, he's just blown away by all the lights. Look at that one, look at that one. You know, as beautiful as they are, it's even while I'm driving, these things are demanding my attention. Curtis Stone on the Coles ads telling me what's fresh at the moment, telling me what I need to cook, the impossible meal that is just going to be out of all of our reach. Bunnings ads seducing me into the summer DIY project that I know I'll never get to. Now, all of the ads, all of the flashy decorations, the catalogs, the pressure to buy and buy right, they're giving us all the same message. And the message that we get from the world of media and marketeers and shopping malls is that the magic of Christmas is in consumption. 
The magic of Christmas is in materialism, is in possessions that we need more, have to buy more, spend more, consume more, be at more. Now, it's all too easy to get sold on the story that Christmas is about ceaseless activity and constant doing. And we all know this because when we get to Christmas Day, and we leave church and we get to Christmas lunch, and we finish lunch, we're all utterly exhausted. And we crash into a heap and we're glad it's finished. Sound familiar? Now, this Christmas series, Close Encounters, seeks to draw our attention away from the ceaseless humdrum of constant activity, of all of the messaging, of all of the things that we ought to do, should do, if we don't do, we're missing out, and give our attention not to what we're told we need by ads or marketing departments, but to the beauty and to the truth of the coming of our Lord Jesus into the world. Now, we are turning our eyes to Scripture to see God encounters that ordinary people living ordinary lives had with God as he saw fit to reveal himself both in heavenly glory, but most mind-blowingly as a newborn baby. And my heart for you, Lot, because I want this for me, is that this Christmas is not an encounter with catalogs, but with Christ. Not an encounter with grocery lists, but with grace. Not an encounter with consumption, but with compassion. Not an encounter with the December grind, but with the generosity of God. Not an encounter with materialism, but with deep mercy. Not with ads or things that glimmer or shine, but with love and light himself. An encounter with Jesus. And if you missed being with us last week, Bretto took us on a journey into the close encounter that Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, had with God and looked at unanswered prayers and doubt and tapped into God's unending purpose in that we don't have an expiry date, which was a bit rich coming from Bredo, don't you think? He was talking about all the older people out there and, and he's not here this morning so we can take the mickey. He's a bit long in the tooth. Uh, nah. <laughs> a coffin dodger. There's one you can take for an older person in your life. I had a mate... No, anyway. That's a, bit, that's a bit rough, isn't it? It's too far. <laughs> you get what you get, so don't get upset. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, it was great. He looked at even with doubt and unbelief, God unwaveringly believes in us, even though at times we are so unsure, and he encouraged us not to give up on prayer, that we don't have the full picture of what's going on, but God does. Um, and if you haven't watched it, I encourage you, I implore you to go back and do so. But today we are looking at the next close encounter, perhaps one of the most profound encounters given to us in the entire record of Scripture. I mean, it's all important, it's all God-breathed, but this one encounter literally began the new creation effort of God in the world. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. And if you're taking notes today, the title of the message is Nine Fair Expectations. And you're like, nine? 
Someone did say earlier in our prayer before thing, there is a movie showing outside if you so desire. You can go and watch the, the animals talk about Christmas or we can stay the course. Nine fair expectations that we can have of God because of who he is. Let me read. The birth of Jesus foretold. I read from the ESV version. I have no particular reason why. It's just quite simple to me. So um, I'm reading from the ESV. Verse 26. In the six months, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him to the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, Mary. Therefore, The child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That is the word of the Lord. I mean, what a moment in Scripture. I mean, this encounter is a hinge on which all of human history hangs. These words recorded for us by Luke retell the decisive moment that God the Father colluded with the Holy Spirit to begin the journey of sending forth His Son into the human experience. And on its own, this story is a wondrous vision of a God who cares, a God of power, a God with a plan, a God who has an intention to save, a God whose story is eternal, a God who is not restrained by the boundaries or the limitations of human invention or even the laws of nature. Yet, as we dive a little bit deeper, it gets even more profound more telling of God's wonder and grace. I'm going to meander our way through. And I just want you to pick up the language that I use around expectation. What are the things based on this story that we can expect of God in faith because of what we see in his word? The verse 26, the beginning in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Six months after Gabriel had appeared to Zechariah, um, and here Gabriel is at it again, though this time roaming the quiet back streets of Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was, was, 
Now, it's a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it? Nazareth was. Barely a freckle on the map. If you opened up Google Maps, you would struggle to see Nazareth as its own label. You would see Galilee, and that is why Luke paired Galilee and Nazareth together in the Scripture, because he knew that the people reading this would kind of be like, Nazareth? Where the heck is Nazareth? And they've gone, Galilee? Oh, okay, now I kind of know where we are. You know, Nazareth was unimpressive. It was largely an unknown place. It was out of the way. To draw a modern equivalent in vernacular that we would all understand, it would have been like Gabriel has gone to Menai with the message of the coming of Christ. Sorry, Emily, you live in Menai, don't you? No, you don't? <laughs> Sorry. I apologise to anyone who lives in Menai. I grew up out that way. I can take the mickey. I mean, if we compare this to last week's story, to the close encounter, and this is why Luke pairs these stories together, both Zechariah uh, and that close encounter and Mary's. Zechariah's close encounter with God happened where? In Jerusalem. And more explicitly where in Jerusalem in the temple during a worship moment we read back then that he was leading the people he was burning incense that there was sacrifice happening as part of his priestly role to lead that verse 10 tells us that a huge gathering of people were outside praying as all of this was happening this was the whole box and dice worship experience They were singing, they were praying, they were taking part in rituals, they were observing all of the religious formalities. They were running off a super tight order of service. They were fellowshipping, doing the religious thing. I mean, it makes sense, right, that God would appear and turn up to that place? Because if God were ever to make landfall from his heavenly abode, surely Jerusalem and the temple would be the place, right? I mean, at the center of religious activity, among the noise and the hullabaloo of church, among the crowds in the middle of a packed church building, peeling back the curtain of heaven as the band flogged to death, the chorus to good, good father, or the goodness of God. But here, that was, sorry, to anyone who picks those songs, that wasn't, that wasn't a nudge to say, let's sing some new songs um, that was like, <laughs> at all. I, I, I'm really on my bad behaviour today, I'm sorry. But here in Mary's close encounter, it's as plain as day that this isn't how the coming of Christ into the world unfolded. Sometimes I think we underestimate the power of God to be at work in places we never expected that he would. And this is not to say that God does not take deep pleasure in being with us in our gatherings. That it does not please his heart when we gather to sing and make music and a great noise to him. This is not to say that God is displeased with our traditions and our biblical rituals of communion and baptism and giving and fellowship and service. But it is to say that we should never limit God to the predictable or the likely, but expect to find him in the most unexpected places. 
See, if God showed up in Nazareth, you can expect him to show up in the checkout line at Woolies. You can expect him to show up around your dining table. You can expect him to show up in your car. I mean, I think just about every Christian on planet Earth has a story to tell. When the Spirit fell on them in the car and they had to pull over because they were crying so much. I've had it. If you haven't, pray for it. It's dangerous. It's a, it's a wild hoot. <laughs> oh dear. Pull your head in, Dave. If you turned up in Nazareth, you can expect him to show up in your worry. God showed up in Nazareth, you can expect him to show up in your stress. Now, if God showed up in Nazareth, you can expect him to show up in the big decisions that you are facing about next year. If he showed up in Nazareth, you can expect him to show up in the overwhelm of all of the entertaining and all of the traveling that's coming up. You can expect him to be present in your sadness and in your grief, also in your relaxation and in your recreation over the break. Now, I went away with Fozzer and some of his work guys last week as their um, unofficial company chaplain on their, um, on their Christmas party that I line up with a farmer mate way out in the boonies, kind of go to Kuma, turn left, and keep going for quite some time out in the, out in the sticks. And um, he's got a whole crew of tradies, about 10 guys all get together and we go and do a building project. And my job is literally just to hang with these guys and just be a, a, a presence among um, their work crew, just to be um, another person of support. What a beautiful model and invitation that is to be, you know, kind of invited into that place. Anyway, we were driving home last Saturday night. The storm was, you know, that massive storm was coming. We are in the back of Foz's van. Um, one of his work trucks, and uh, Fozzer and another bloke are in the front seats, and I'm in the back seat of this commercial vehicle that has no windows. Felt like we're six-hour drive in a van with no windows. It was quite claustrophobic. Um, and there was three of us along the back seat, myself and two apprentices. And, and, and somewhere between kind of Goulburn and Picton Road, um, I think Fozzer asked a question of one of his um, apprentices and just said, hey, um, I noticed you took some leadership you know, on this project we're doing down at the farm, you know, where do you think that kind of comes from? And the conversation just kept um, evolving and all of the guys in the car in this moment just turned their eyes to this young guy, Billy, and just encouraged the call of God on him to be a leader. And this guy has um, faith. He has grown up through one of our grommets through Christian Surfers, um, I'm not sure how active and how uh, vibrant and how alive that faith is. I have no clue. But there was this moment in the back of a windowless van, driving through a storm somewhere between Goulburn and Picton Road, where God's presence fell so thickly in this van as we encouraged this young guy and called out God's best for him. As I read through the scripture this morning and this week, God turned up to Nazareth the unexpected place, I was reminded so strongly that God will come to the places in our life that we least expect Him to come. That the unlikely is like a magnet to the activity of God. Isn't that reassuring? That the unlikely, because often we'll externalize that kind of saying or truth. But when we stop for a second and go, I am the unlikely, 
and you are the unlikely? Man, what power that God would choose to turn up in our lives. It is a simple and wonderful truth that God in his profound wisdom and divine genius did not begin his journey into mankind in the expected place. In the same vein, it's so telling of a God whose modus operandi, his mode of operation, when we stop and consider who, you know, we looked at where, but who God chose to give this message of the coming of Christ. Verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, Mary was engaged to Joseph. They were not yet living together, nor had there been any hanky-panky going on. The word tells us that she had known no man. And at this point, I wanted to deviate very much and go down the rabbit warren of the foundational importance of the virgin birth and all that it means to our faith. And there are so many layers to God's choosing of a virgin to carry his son and bring him into the world that time does not allow us today to dive in. But I will say this. If there is anyone in your life who claims to follow Jesus and denies the virgin birth, run for the hills. It is so foundational to our faith and to our belief and to what God's plan is in the world. Well, in the same way that we just compared the place that God chose to bring this message, the person who he chose to receive this message is absolutely astounding. When the expected storyline, the conventional approach, would have been that the announcement of the coming Son of God to be announced to the religious big knobs would, would be to the religious big knobs, to the guy with the Bible college degree, to the preacher, to the pastor, to the priest, much like Zechariah. With Zechariah, he was fit for purpose, a man of God, a leader in the church, a man whose name was known, whose reputation was one of righteousness and of holiness. But here we find God choosing a girl, a young girl, perhaps of no many more years than 12 or 13 years of age. And he chose her to be the bodily, motherly host of the actual, embodied, at least at this point in utero, presence of God. I mean, Mary did not fit the expected parameters of a candidate likely to have had a close encounter with God, let alone of this magnitude. She was young. She was female. She was uneducated. She was from the back lots of Nowheresville. Which is, here's another expectation, is that we can expect close encounters in and with unexpected people. If God can turn up to a teenage girl of no reputation, a commoner, a village girl of no prestige, no positional influence, no education we know of, no religious tuition, no power, no voice, no particular value beyond what was par for the course for a woman of her day, then you can expect him to show up in people that you would least expect him to show up in. Many moons ago, I was in Colombia with Jen White on an early open doors trip. 
um, transformational moment in my life. I went with my best mate at the time, John O'Nash, who some of you would know. And we were there thinking that we were there to save the world, as you do as an 18-year-old, fresh-faced, out of school, going on a mission trip. We're going to conquer the world for Jesus. And we, uh, we get there and we find ourselves um, in an orphanage, uh, ministering to children who had been forcibly removed uh, by um, the government because the armed militia groups in all of the uh, arms and drug trades over there were coming into villages and saying, uh, you've got two days to get out. If you don't, the kids are going to be recruited into our armed forces. And these are kids who managed to escape. And they'd set up this orphanage and we were there ministering among these kids, uh, playing soccer with them and having a good old time. And one night we were sitting around uh, the fire and they were playing some music and uh, you know, that was cool and one thing or another. Uh, towards the end of the night, um, they asked if they could pray for us, all of these kids, through our translator, Layla was her name, um, and these, these kids gathered around, uh, Jan and Jono and I, and there was a couple of pommies there as well from the UK that were on the trip, and um, as we s- sat there around the fire, um, this whole crew of kids, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 kids, um, in Spanish, uh, just, just praying their hearts out. Someone's still playing the guitar, they've got hands on our backs, I couldn't understand a word of what these kids were saying. Not a syllable. Maybe, um, uh, I'm not even going to try and make something up there. That wouldn't have been funny anyway. anyway. But I, f- I felt the presence of God come through these children in a way that I never would have expected God to move through young people. And perhaps that was a foundational piece for me going into youth ministry at a young age to see the power of God at work in young lives. Because how often perhaps do we write off the young people as the ones who are just noisy and in the way or the ones who are causing the mess at church or making too much noise next door while we're trying to do the serious business of hearing God's word or whatever the case might be. I mean, who is it that we expect God to move through? The megachurch pastor, the chart-topping worship leader or songwriter with a platform, the insta-famous serial poster of all of life and faith's advice, the author of the latest book on hot-button issues, the podcaster who appears to have a finger on the pulse of culture and the latest news from the press room of heaven. Now, the scriptures are replete with stories that confirm what the Lord spoke to Samuel, another unlikely customer. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. And who have you written off as too far gone, too young, too immature, too not ready, too unqualified, too quiet, too loud, too whatever? The unlikely people are heaven's multi-tool, useful in the hand of God for any job. Let's take a look at what the angel Gabriel says to this unlikely girl in this unlikely place. Verse 28, the angel declared to her that she was favoured by God and that he was with her. And I can imagine that Mary would have at this moment, look to see who else was around. Is he talking to, to me? Uh, 
highly favoured. Excuse me, Mr. Gabriel, that, are you talking, God is with me? A, a young woman here in Nazareth of all places, I am, I'm highly favoured? You know, both the moment and the message would have caught Mary entirely off guard. And we see that, that she was feeling entirely discombobulated as she tried to make sense of what kind of greeting or salutation this was. Gabriel, sensing her bewilderment, reminded her, he says to her, Mary, do not fear because God has looked upon you with great favor. Friends, I want to remind you this morning, expect that God will draw near to you with reassurance of your chosenness and the gift of peace in his hands. You might have your mind reeling at the moment of all of life's stuff. It could be all manner of circumstances you are facing, things that are unnerving and unsettling. And that was the case for Mary in this moment. And God draws near to her and says, do not fear. He's bringing the gift of peace to Mary in that moment. And perhaps that is a gift that you can ask God for this morning. And in faith, I believe he'll give it to you. If we see it in his word, we can see it in our lives. Do not fear. Church, do not fear. Friend, do not fear. Whatever you're thinking, whatever you're seeing, whatever is in front of you, the big hurdles, God is with you. He has chosen you. Do not fear is the message. And now if the unannounced visit from the angel wasn't enough for Mary to spit out her mouthful of the morning cuppa, then the message that Gabriel spoke to her sure would have. He says to her in verse 31, Mary, you're going to conceive a baby in your womb. And it's going to be a boy. And how's about this, Mary? Don't stress about what you're going to call him. I know you like the name Gary and Steve. But you're going to call him Jesus. But that's not all. He will be called Great. He will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord is going to appoint him to the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary's like, whoa, hold the phone. Back up the truck, Gabriel. I mean, do you mean like in the future when Joseph and I are married that we'll conceive a baby and give birth? You mean when we have a house and we can you know, have a nursery? When we can afford a donkey that can fit three of us? Is that when you mean? See, what the angel just proclaimed to Mary is unfathomable. And we know this because Mary's response, which we'll get to in a sec, is quite incredible. First though, and I know you guys already know this because you're a whole lot quicker on the uptake than I am. Uh, in fact, you're all in trouble for not having told me or showed me this earlier. But whenever you see in Scripture an unconventional conception, whenever you see the impossible birth happen, when you see life coming from somewhere that it shouldn't, you know that God is at work moving his kingdom mission forward in the world. You guys knew that, right? I didn't. You're all busted. You're all in detention for not telling me. 
See, Abraham and Sarah, they were a gajillion years old when God blessed them with Isaac. Rebecca was barren for 20 years before she gave birth to Jacob. Rachel was barren for many years before she gave birth to Joseph. Hannah was barren for many years before she gave birth to Samuel. Manoah's wife, who we don't know her name, we just get told that she's Manoah's wife, she was barren before giving birth to Samson. Zechariah and Elizabeth, hello, do we see a pattern forming here? This close encounter is not just a moment for Mary to have with God and get all of the nice feelings of receiving a word in God's presence. This is not just a moment curated by God so Mary could get the spiritual dopamine hit and get high on some kind of heavenly chuff. This close encounter between the God of all creation and this lowly virgin girl of humble estate was about God's kingdom coming to his earth and his purposes being promoted forward into humanity. And based on this, here is another expectation. Expect that God will be at work in you, not just for your pleasure, but for his purposes. That when God punches through time and space to meet with us, it's not just so we can sit there and have a wonderful experience of how great is this. God loves me and that's all great and wonderful. I don't want to discredit or discount those experiences for one second. But what we see in the story here is that God is breaking in to the experience of humankind, both as fully God and as fully man. Not just so we could say how awesome, but that we could see his purposes for his kingdom coming revealed among us. You can expect that when God comes near to you, as in when you open his word, when you spend time in prayer, when you slow down long enough to hear his voice, when you gather with the household of faith to worship his name, when you generously welcome someone into your life, when you remember his death in communion, when you selflessly serve others and pursue justice, whether you're connecting with him in nature or through food or watching a sunrise, he will deposit a kingdom seed in your life that will grow in greatness for his purposes. Now, this revelation was not a secret for Mary to contain, but it was a body of God's work, quite literally, for her to grow and to nurture and to release into the world for the sake of all humanity. Such is the gift of God in our lives, that we don't hold on to it, that we don't contain it, that we don't keep it in utero, that we don't sit on it and wait for it to do its thing, but we give birth to the thing that God is doing in us to move his purposes along in the world. So expect that close encounters with God to be a place where he deposits a gift in you for others. Because that's what he did in Mary. He deposited a gift in her for the sake of another. You know, Mary's response to this was incredible. Unlike Zechariah, who responded with, yeah, right, good on you, mate, show me a sign and I'll believe it. Mary responded with the most simple faith. How? How, how will this be? 
since I am a virgin. I mean, the image here is one of a child with their eyes wide open in utter amazement and awe. Not a well-seasoned adult full of skepticism or riddled with doubt. Her question, how, was not one of going, this isn't going to happen, but show me how. Show me how this will be. Her question was one of inquiry, of deep curiosity, seeking to understand the way that this impossibility would come to be. This question of how was grounded in faith rather than a reaction steeped in doubt. I mean, again, Luke is drawing a contrast between Zechariah, who doubted, and Mary, who showed simple faith. And as we look to Mary's response, you can expect that a posture of faith will pave the way for God to bring his kingdom through you. I mean, such was Mary's posture. One of just a simple faith that said, God, you have said this is going to happen. Just show me how. Not, it's, how, what, how? That, that's, that can't happen. I'm, a, I'm just a girl. Uh, uh, I haven't slept with my soon-to-be husband. Um, it's impossible. No, it's God. You have said this thing. How? how? Show me how. You know, there's no denying that we have doubts, and I have them. And last week, as I said, Bretto shared a, an amazing word on how our doubts don't change, how God sees us. Despite our doubts, He still loves us and uses us. But doubt is not the platform that you and I are called to leap from in life. Faith is. We leap forward into life with faith that God is with us. We leap forward with faith that God has a plan. We leap forward with faith that God, His Word is true. With faith that we have what we need. With faith that He will provide as we go. With faith that He can heal. With faith that our prayers will be answered. With faith that Jesus will return and make things right again. So we ought to expect that a posture of faith will indeed pave a way forward for God to bring his kingdom through you. Now Mary's faith-filled response garnered an incredible answer from the angel Gabriel. He said to her, verse 35, the Holy Spirit. She's like, how's this going to happen? And this is his answer. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. The answer to Mary's question of how is this? The power of the Holy Spirit. Clearly, this is saying that within her, the Holy Spirit is impregnating her with God himself. This is the moment that God chose to bring forth and bring together sinless humanity with eternal deity. Joseph could not do this only God could. To be born of the seed of Joseph would to have been born under the weight and the poison of sin. But for Jesus to be both fully God and fully man, it had to be the flawless, immaculate work of the Holy Spirit in conceiving Christ in the womb of a virgin. 
I said I wasn't going to go there today and now look at what you've done to me. We'll get back on track. The answer to Mary's how will this happen is that the Holy Spirit will overshadow her. And here is the image that we are drawn to see here. That over this lifeless womb, his hand and by impartation of his miraculous power, life will appear from it. And what's fascinating about this reply is the echo that it is of another moment in Scripture where the Holy Spirit hovered, overshadowed another lifeless body of water, causing from it life to emerge. Where was this? Top of the class, Genesis 1. In the beginning, I mean, listen to the similarities. God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. I mean, the angel's reply here is an uncanny response and echo to the Genesis 1 creation event. There's an Old Testament theologian called Derek Kidner, and he said this, Hovering over the waters of Mary's womb, the Holy Spirit brought life out of nothing, just as he did at first creation. I mean, this is incredible. And this encounter is a new beginning, right in the middle of human history. The Holy Spirit in this encounter started the same process of new creation through Christ in the way that he started the process of first creation in Eden by hovering over something lifeless and out of the deadness he brought life. This is the hallmark of the kingdom, is it not? That life emerges where death has reigned. This encounter is itself a container for the truth of the gospel to be revealed. It speaks to the very heart of the gospel. That the power of the old creation does not have the final say. That death does not win. That barrenness to God is no obstacle. When the Holy Spirit broods over a person, when the Holy Spirit hovers over a situation, when the Spirit is seen to be lingering over a crisis that by all counts and measures is dead. Take courage, church, because it is from the dead places and from the barren places that the Holy Spirit hovers where things come back to life again. Life emerging from where it shouldn't is the trademark of God. I mean, is this not the epitome of Easter Sunday? We're getting ourselves a little bit ahead here. But the Spirit would hover over a lifeless body, brooding over the darkness of a tomb. Yet life emerged from creation to conception to resurrection. Out of dead things, life comes. And friends, from this close encounter, we are right to expect in faith that the creative power of the Holy Spirit as he overshadows our lives can begin and bring new creation in you. That through Christ, where sin has reigned, freedom and forgiveness come alive in us. That where there has been no hope, hope can emerge 
in us. That where there have been lifeless dreams, the Spirit breathes upon them to give us life. Where you have come to the stark realization that you cannot fix what you are facing. When you cannot mend what is broken. Where you realize that you cannot restore what has been taken. When you cannot redeem what has been lost. You must know that the creator of of the power of God to impart new life to you, to begin a new work in you, to set into motion the wheels of new creation for you is at the heart of God. That when all seems lost, when all seems dead, when all seems barren, when all seems like there is no way, it is God's deepest pleasure to make a way. And this all might seem impossible from where you sit right now. That such renewal and new life seems lost for you in what you are facing and what you are walking through. And can I remind you of what else Gabriel said to Mary in this encounter? And he broke the news to her in verse 36 that God has also done this work in her relative Elizabeth and then declared to her a gospel truth that is ours for the taking and Ruth beautifully opened our service with it that nothing will be impossible for God. Six words that we can expect because we see it in Scripture. We can expect it in our lives. We don't always see it. By golly goodness, we don't. But six words from this encounter that has literally changed the world and can change our lives, that nothing will be impossible for God. And when God breaks into the human story, he does not do so in a benign state, but in a way that takes the impossible and makes a way through it. Now, it was remarkable that God chose Nazareth for this message to come. It was absolutely unthinkable for him to choose a girl like Mary, but it was flat out impossible for a virgin womb to fall pregnant, yet it did. As people of God's word chosen in Christ for God's good purpose, we must expect the impossible to happen. Mary's final response, and we'll close here, is so informative for how I believe we ought to respond to God's grace in our lives Verse 38, we read, this is Mary responding to all of this, to the, to the, whoa, what the heck is going on here, to the news of how it's going to happen, to the bewilderment of the fact that she's going to have a baby when against all odds and for every biological and physiological reason she shouldn't be having a baby, yet here she is, impregnated by the Holy Spirit in this moment. Here is how she responds. Oh man, it's beautiful. It is so full of humility let it be to me, God, according to your word. Let it, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel hightailed it out of there. It was a long flight for a quick encounter. And Mary was overwhelmed. Her heart must have been so full of awe and of gratitude She's come in such humility and in faith. 
She accepted in that moment the work of God in her life. She did not allow all of the reasons why not to get in the way of what was. And there was at that moment a miracle at work in her womb and to fight it would have been futile. In the humble acceptance of God's will in her life captivated her heart and imagination in a way that defined her faithfulness to the very end. Now, when God breaks into your world with grace and mercy, Nazareth has really thrown me this morning. I've got such a lisp. When God breaks into your world with grace and mercy like he has for each one of us in sending Christ to take our place, to bear our sin, to take to the grave and die the death that we deserved... Yet the power of the Holy Spirit over that moment of death brought him back to life, does the same for us. He has brooded over us in our own death to sin and he has brought us to life. What then ought to be our response? I think we just need to expect that our hearts need to grow in faith and in surrender. It is the only response to such love. Let's stand together and worship. We'll finish up after this song. My friends, I want to remind you, let's stand together, to expect that close encounters will indeed happen in unexpected places. Keep an eye out for them over the coming weeks. Don't get so caught up in all of the things at Christmas that you miss the unexpected work of God in your life. Expect close encounters in and with unexpected people. God is going to bring people across your path in coming days, weeks, maybe over the holidays, most certainly soon enough. You're like, can God use this person? Yeah, He can and yeah, He will in ways that will blow your mind. Expect that God will draw close to you with reassurance of your chosenness and that He will deliver to you peace in the midst of your fear. Expect that God will be at work at you, not just for your pleasure, but for His purposes. Expect that close encounters with God will be where He deposits a gift in you for others. Expect that a posture of faith will pave the way for God to bring His kingdom through you. Expect in faith that the creative power of the Holy Spirit, as He overshadows you, your lives will begin and bring new creation within you and to our world. Expect the impossible to happen. And expect your heart to grow in faith and in surrender to the love of God. Father, we thank you for how you've shown us how you decidedly entered the world in the most unexpected place, in the most unexpected way, through the most unexpected set of circumstances, blowing our minds of what is possible. Father, we thank you that the truth of your word sets us free. Because, Lord, I know we need it. We need to be set free from the bondage of fear. We need to be set free from the pace of life that causes us to miss you. Set free from the ways of thinking that limit us. Set free from the ways of being in this world that cause us not to engage how we should 
Your word sets us free from sin. Your word sets us free from our flesh nature and calls us to more. Father, we thank you for the revelation of Christ in your word to us this morning. And Father, that we have such rich promise that we can hold on to. Lord, I ask for myself and for all of us, Lord, that our expectation of all of these things would rise in Jesus' name. To expect the impossible, to expect you to be at work, to expect you to bring new life, to expect you to do all of these things, expect you to come good on your promises, expect you to say who you say you are. Father, may we be a people who are launching from a platform of faith and not of doubt. So reassure us this morning, give us confidence as we go, put your courage into us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Embolden us as we converse with one another and share the stories of what you're doing. Holy Spirit, fall upon us again and again like you did in the early church. Father, we would feel your presence. We would see your presence. We would know your presence. God, that we wouldn't settle for the status quo, that we wouldn't settle, Lord, for mediocre, that we wouldn't settle for what the world tells us we need. But Father, we will take what you have from us, the best of what you have. So Father, bless us as we go in Jesus' name. Give us a gift of expectation and may that rise in us this Christmas. In your precious name, amen.